The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God bless you, Ecclesia. It has um, truly been an amazing joy to be back in the place that I love to teach and share with you. Um, you tend to come back after a little bit of time of rest, and, uh, and the places that you're strongest just feel stronger because you, you got a break and uh, you got some time to rest that muscle a bit, and it, it has truly uh, been really restorative uh, to me. And so we've been able to start a bit of a new series, and Sean uh, helped build on the message that I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a part of the church. Part of what I shared with you when I went away on sabbatical, I had time to go, what, what do I want to do for the next 20 years? I've spent 20 years leading Ecclesia. What does the next 20 years look like? And it becomes crystal clear to me that the most important thing I could devote my life to is building Christ church. That in the places I see of greatest need in the world, the places that people need clean water, I believe that the solution will be the church stepping forward and being radically generous and sharing. Um, when I look at people like our dear brother Steve and Sherry Scott that lost their adult daughter this week who still has three very young kids. As that family grieves, what I believe is that Steve and Sherry, who will be at, likely at the service at 11 today, what they need is a church family, people that remind them of the hope of Christ, people that lean in and, and cry with them and mourn with them and share food with them, and that in times of grief and sorrow, we would be lost without his church, that together, when we grieve and we celebrate together, when I look at the problems that exist in our culture, particularly around things like racism and bigotry and the hatred that spreads so rampantly in our culture, the only place that I believe, the only people that I think can believe, uh, bring healing are the church. I think we're the only ones that can do what Martin Luther King Jr. said, that only love can drive out hate, right? More hate won't do it. And you can't turn and expect news channels or a government to be the source of Christ-like love. Who's that source? It's 9 a.m. I want to see if anybody's paying attention. It's the church. It's got to be the church. If it's not the church, then we've lost a sense of hope. And so in this series, what we want to do is talk about what does it mean to be a part of the church? And I think there are many places uh, that we've missed it. We've become a bit confused. And one of them is the primary place I want to talk to you about today. I think there is a myth that exists in our culture that to join a church means you join a group of people that all think and live and behave in the same ways. A group of people that are basically monolithic and alike, and what you wanna do, and this was a common idea of the past, right? That if you wanted to be a part of a church and you're German, you'd go to a German Lutheran church with other German Lutherans who drink the same beer and eat the same sausage and believe the same things. And what I wanna to suggest to you is that when you look at the Bible, when you look at the historic church, that it's quite different, that it's actually in our diversity that we find great strength and power. And so what does it look like to live in a culture, a culture that doesn't often value diversity in the same way and be that kind of church? Uh, one of the pastors on our staff, in fact, we're gonna bring her over a bit more often, Mitzi Mock. Uh, Mitzi and her husband, Jerry, are longtime Ecclesians. And um, they have been around the church for many, many years. They've gone and served in India with International Justice Mission as we supported them. Uh, they have most recently spent many years in Kurdistan, a part of Iraq. They're actually now back here in Mitzi serving on staff. Many would say uh, to them, like, that must have been really hard living in Iraq. And they often say the opposite. They say, no, what's been really hard is coming back to the United States. Um, being in in Iraq, in Kurdistan, they found people to be very communal and very friendly and very welcoming. And we live in a culture where we all have our fences and we have our walls and 
Um, we're really devoted to our own schedules. And they said, this part has actually been really hard. But when uh, Mitzi's been around this summer and she's been asking people at Ecclesia, often, why, why are you here? What, what drew you to Ecclesia? And she's gotten a lot of great responses. Um, she's shared a lot of those with our staff that have been really encouraging. People that have come to faith here, people that have felt included here. But she said, I got a response that I didn't fully expect. She said, over and over as I was asking people, um, why are you here? People often said, what drew me to Ecclesia was the chairs. They said, it's, it's the chairs. And, uh, and, and in fact, one person said very specifically, um, when I saw the chairs, I thought even I might be able to fit in here. Right. Now, what you don't realize, some of you just think, well, Ecclesia is cheap and they found the cheapest chairs they could get and they're kind of hodgepodge. And part of that is true. <laughs> right. But we believe um, in a deep way, in a profound way, that everything preaches, everything. And, uh, and we believe that sometimes the most tactile, tangible thing that you touch when you come ought to also preach. And when people see the chairs, they naturally, without even knowing that they're thinking it, they realize that we value diversity instead of homogeneity. You walk into most rooms, all chairs are the same. Right? And it sends a message that to be the same, to be homogenous is good. We actually don't believe that. We believe that the more diverse and different we are, uh, the better off we are. And we're seeing more and more of that even at our West Side campus. And we believe that's part of what God has called us to is an increased diversity because that's a better church. And the reality is the chairs reflect that because we're all different. Our bodies are different, right? It, it, there are many different size butts in this room, right? Many different sizes. Some of our butts are bigger than they were six months ago. Anybody else that you just like, I need a different chair now than I needed six months ago. And so we find and adjust the chair that fits us and some are more comfortable than others, which means you need to get here a little bit earlier. Find your seat. But we believe at that core basis what uh, this dear sister naturally picked up when she walked in, that everybody can belong. And that in that belonging, we're actually better off together. One of my favorite things about having a sabbatical is that I started to read the Bible, hopefully maybe a little more like you read the Bible. Um, for 28 years, I've been preaching. Uh, 10 of those years, I was, in addition to that, I was leading a Bible translation project. And so reading the Bible has often been my job, right? And you read the Bible like a preacher. You're thinking about what you're going to preach. It's been so refreshing to read the Bible like a Christian for a few months. Maybe like you do that you just go, wow, that means a lot to me. I often think, what will mean something to you, right? And I, I was reading Acts uh, two weeks ago, and as I was reading it, I was just reading it like a Christian. I was just enjoying the story and the narrative, and I was finding places of connection. And I quickly switched back into pastor mode when I got to Acts 16, because I, I noticed something I'd never noticed before. And in Acts 16, this is what we see. The first church is being founded in Philippi. You remember this? Acts 16, the first church is started. They're going to establish the church. And this is what Paul tells us. He says, there, there are three first members of the church. The first three people that joined the church in Philippi, the first three converts to Christ, are fascinating to me. In Acts 16, this is what we see. The very first person that comes to faith and becomes a part of that, that church planning team is a woman named Lydia. You remember the story of Lydia? Lydia was a woman who sold expensive cloth. She sold purple cloth. She dealt with rich people. She was quite likely very wealthy. Her circle of influence was in a high social circle. 
And Lydia came to faith and was sold out to Jesus. The, the second person we see in Acts 16 come to faith is this girl. They, we, only, we don't hear her name. She's just called the slave girl. She was trafficked. Someone um, actually was profiting off of her. We don't know exactly what this woman was doing to create profit uh, for this person, uh, but we know it wasn't good. And we know that at some point, um, this amazing thing happened and uh, the spirit was cast out of her. And she came to faith. The owner of this girl was very upset. And this slave girl, this trafficking victim, becomes the second member of the church in Philippi. And then the third story we get in Acts 16 is of a beautiful thing, an expression of God's love and worship breaks out in the prison. You remember this one? And it's, it's this beautiful scene. And what happens so captivates the prison guard um, that this prison guard comes to faith. He's quite likely, uh, we know from tradition, a... Uh, a former Roman soldier. He would have been quite likely a middle-aged man uh, of great status as a Roman uh, former soldier and a Roman citizen. So we start the first church in Philippi, hear this, with a rich, wealthy woman, with a trafficking victim, and a Roman soldier, a middle-class man. Could you find more different people? Can you imagine pulling those three people together? Are you with me, 9 a.m.? Has everybody had coffee? Can you imagine pulling those three people together? How many things do you think they agreed on? Their life experience was so different. I mean, for us, it would almost sound like a joke. It'd be like telling a story and going, so there was this Aggie, this rabbi, and Queen Elizabeth, and they go into a bar together, right? <laughs> I mean, that's Act 16, is you've got these three totally different people, and they start a church together. What do you think God's trying to say to us? Diversity's better than homogeneity. It's better if you're different. That's actually going to be your strength going forward. Nobody in the world thought that. And when God started the church and he found these diverse people, he was giving us a very, very clear message. So what does it look like then to be a part of the body of Christ if we're really different? Is it even possible that we could be on the same page? And so today I wanna to take you back in history to one of my favorite uh, influencers in church history. His name is Jeremiah Burroughs. He's a very obscure uh, figure in the history of the church. Even Steve Turley, who's a church historian on our staff, when I mentioned this is the guy I was going to preach on, he goes, I don't know who that guy is. And that's what Steve does. He's got a PhD in church history. But Jeremiah Burroughs uh, was an influential thinker. Um, he had written a few books. My favorite um, of his books is a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. You can also notice from his photo uh, that he's a really handsome guy with a devilish mustache and a soul patch. And um, Jeremiah Burroughs was born in 1599. The rare jewel of Christian contentment talks about the unique perspective of Christians that are able to be content in any and every circumstance. And the way he writes, um, again, it's much more ancient English language, uh, but it's just beautiful. He, he starts the book saying, um, I would like this book to be like a cordial or a cocktail. It would be an invigorating drink that you'd read it and it would invigorate your spiritual path. And from the first sentence when I read him, I thought, I like this guy. I just like the way that he thinks. He also was uh, very influential 
uh, in terms of articulating uh, denominational theory and his fear that denominations would become schism, that it actually, that unity was so important in Christianity and that denominations could be a source of disunity. It was an area of great concern for him. In fact, uh, the slogan written over his door uh, would be a perfect marker for what he believed in the influence of his life. Uh, he had this over his door in, uh, in Latin and in Greek, which has reminded me almost every important person has something amazing over their door in Latin and in Greek. So I'm gonna try to figure out what I'm putting over my door. Um, this is what he says over his door, and he just he saw it every day, right? The difference of belief and unity of believers are not inconsistent. The difference of belief and unity of believers are not inconsistent. You hear that, Ecclesia? We don't have to agree on everything. We won't. We won't agree on everything. In, uh, in 1646, Burroughs uh, was tragi tragically died when he was thrown from a horse. Um, he, uh, in his brief short life, he died at the age that I currently am today. Um, he contributed in significant ways to the church. Uh, he was kicked out of his college as he was studying to be a pastor. Uh, he was studying in Cambridge, and he was kicked out, they said, for nonconformity. So uh, my guess is probably most people that make a great impact on the world could easily be kicked out of college for nonconformity. In other words, he had ideas. He had thoughts that weren't always the common thoughts of the day. In fact, as I um, took some time on my sabbatical, one of my favorite things I got to do in the countryside of the UK is to go and visit churches. I took up photography uh, in my, and now I'm gonna sound like a photographer because it doesn't look as good on that brick wall. It looks so much better if I could um, but I'd go sit and I'd just take photos in these churches. And when you're in a church that's 800, 1,000 years old, you just start to sit there and think, like, what if this, these walls could speak, right? What stories would they tell me? This may be my favorite one that Lisa and I hiked up to. Lisa took this photo. You can keep going. Yeah, it's, it's, um, and uh, this is in a place called Weymouth. If you keep moving forward, you'll see that it's just surrounded by cows. Pull back one more. There you go. It gives you this sense of it's a beautiful little hike to get to this place. I don't know if it's the Christian thing to do, but we brought wine and cheese and we um, sat up next to this church and we just kind of soaked in all the beauty. And then when I would sit in these churches, I would imagine some of the stories I've read from people like Jeremiah Burroughs. You see, this was a time of great tension in the church. Uh, factions were being created, denominations were being formed. Um, in fact, there were times when Burroughs was preaching that he had to be really aware of what was happening. By the way, I read you, so like if I'm asking you, hey, are you with me? It's like because one of you is asleep. Um, I've, I've got a rule at Ecclesia. I'm, I'm watching you. If four people go to sleep, my sermon's over, literally. It's done. Either somebody wakes them up or we are done. Um, it's hard to preach if you've got four people asleep. I, I'm fully aware, those of you that are text messaging throughout the sermon, I know who you are. Um, I'll tell you if you want to know, like, are you talking to me? Yeah, I was talking to you. Um, I can tell the difference in the way your eyes move as to whether you're reading the Bible on your app, right, or not. I promise you. I promise you I know the difference. So I, I'm often reading you, and I'm trying to gauge, like, how do we stay together? Are you hearing me? Where are we at? I can't imagine being Burroughs. He would throw out ideas, and it made so many people mad. There were times they chased him out of the pulpit. I've never had to think, these people are about to kill me. I better run, right? <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even imagine what that would be like, but that's the time that he existed in. And so when he talks about Christian unity, 
It's really important. And you wonder, why did he think Christian unity was so important? Well, in one word, Jesus. This is what Jesus said when he prayed for us. In John 17, well, before we get to that, let me talk to you about what it looks like. No, let me read John 17 first, then we're going to do the Apostles' Creed. In John 17, this is what he says. Jesus is praying. He says, I'll no longer be physically present in this world, but they will remain in this world. As I return to be with you, Holy Father, remain with them through your name, the name you've given me. May they be one even as we are one. While I was physically present with them, I protected them through your name. I watched over them closely, and only one was lost, the one the Scriptures said was the son of destruction. Now I'm returning to you. I'm speaking this prayer here in the created cosmos alongside friends and foes so that in hearing it, they might be consumed with joy. I have given them your word and the world has despised them because they are not products of the world in the same way I'm not a product of the corrupt world order. Do not take them out of this world. Hear that, Ecclesia. Protect them from the evil one. Like me, they're not products of the corrupt world order. Immerse them in the truth. The truth your voice speaks, that's what we want to hear today, is the voice of God speaking. In the same way you sent me into this world, I am sending them. It is entirely for their benefit that I have set myself apart so that they may be set apart by truth. I'm not asking solely for their benefit. This prayer is also for all the believers who will follow them and hear them speak. Isn't that beautiful that as Christ was praying, he wasn't just thinking of the disciples, he was literally thinking of us. He knew we'd be sitting in this room, that we would be his followers. So he says, Father, may they all be one as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us. For by this unity, the world will believe that you sent me. So why did Burroughs think unity was so important? Well, Jesus said it was. He said it was in that unity that the world would believe that we were sent by him. It seems really important. It was also this foundational teaching of Judaism and thus of Christianity. We find it first in Deuteronomy 6. It's called the Shema prayer, a prayer that Jewish people would pray every day. Shema Israel, Elohai Eloheinu, Adonai Ikad. That the Lord our God is one. In Deuteronomy 6, this is what it says. It just reminds us, right? Listen, Israel, the eternal is our true God. He alone, you should love him, your true God, with all your heart and soul and with every ounce of your strength. Jesus added to this when he was asked what the most important command was. He said it was this and also to love your neighbor as yourself. This foundational understanding of Christianity is articulated by Jesus. So what does it look like to be the ecclesia? Ecclesia is just the most generic word for church. It's the Greek word for church. What does it look like to be the church? I believe it means that we're intended to be a people that share a common foundation And that doesn't mean we will agree on everything, but it means on the most important things, we will agree. If you go to our website, we have a doctrinal statement, and some of you uh, may be uh, experienced enough to read that doctrinal statement and go, I think our church just ripped off the Apostles' Creed. And I will tell you, yes, that's what we did. Um, Our doctrinal statement is primarily based on the Apostles' Creed, this foundational understanding of what it means to be a Christian. We would say these would be the things that are important for all of us to agree on. Um, In fact, I want to invite you just to read them with me. We're going to put it on the screen, and you can say it aloud with me. I know it's 9 a.m., but join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, 
creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Just hold that slide for me for a minute. Look at those last few. I love being at Ecclesia and hearing some babies. Isn't that a gift? I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Ecclesia, you gather a group of people that believe that. Those are a hopeful people. Those people that believe that my sins are forgiven and that means I'm gonna forgive others. That, that this body is not the place that I was ultimately made for and that there is an eternal life beyond that where those that we love, we will be gathered together again. Those are a very hopeful people. And so if we have that kind of hope and we come together as one family, beautiful things begin to happen. So what does it look like according to Jeremiah Burroughs? It's unbelievable to me that a guy that wrote in 15, was born in 1599 is gonna teach us today about some things that I think profoundly matter today. But I've got six things I want you to hear from Jeremiah Burroughs and then I'll share a few thoughts uh, based on them. This is what Burroughs says. These are kind of the six essentials to his doctrinal theory. This is what he says first. Doctrinal differences are inevitable. In other words, there's no way that all of us are going to agree on everything. And what's amazing is that we'll all work a similar process. We'll, we'll read the Bible, we'll pray, we'll ask some questions, we'll go, now what am I to do? What am I to believe? And faithful Christians will gather, they'll ask some of the same questions, they'll read the same Bible, and you know what happens? They come out in different places, right? On every row in this church, there are people that have come to different places in some of their doctrinal beliefs. So what do we do with that, right? Historically, the church has said sometimes that's just reason to fight, right? It's just, well, now it's time to fight. We gotta figure out who's right. Um, Burroughs thought that that was problematic. So he says, first, doctrinal differences are inevitable. And then this is what he says. He says, doctrinal differences in secondary matters are still important. So we may all agree on the Apostles' Creed. We're gonna get to other issues that are secondary and we're gonna disagree, but that doesn't mean that those things still aren't important. In other words, as you pray, as you read the Bible, as you come to a place of conviction, then you ought to follow your conscience and the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit in living out that conviction. That's really important. And then, and the reality is we're going to come to different places. Um, as we do that, what does that look like as we seek to be one church? So for instance, for us at Ecclesia, part of what we said is we try to value that unity. Is it from the very beginning we've said the church has often been divided. 
around things like baptism. And what we learned in the earliest days of Ecclesia is that there were a lot of people, especially from uh, Catholic backgrounds, that deeply connected with who we are at Ecclesia, who God had called us to be. Many that would come to church that wouldn't be there otherwise. And so from the beginning, we had to ask this question that what does it mean for people to disagree on baptism? And what we've said historically is we've said, hey, that's okay. It's a secondary difference. The historic church has said, um, we disagree on baptism, let's kill each other. We thought that seemed like a bad idea. Just seemed like a bad idea that, that actually you sit down with Presbyterian brothers and sisters, Anglican brothers and sisters, Baptist brothers and sisters, they just disagree on some, some wording and understanding of it. There are some families in our church that come and say, it's really important to me that my baby is baptized into the family of faith and that they are confirmed at an age that they come to faith. There are others like in my family that we say, hey, that's, that's not where our conscious lands. Our conscious lands that our baby would be dedicated and then later on they would be baptized. Now, I don't know which is right. And this is my guess, Ecclesia, that when we get to heaven and Jesus is pouring the really good wine, none of us are even gonna think to ask. We're not. We're going to be sitting there with Jesus. We're going to go like, were we right on baptism or were they right on baptism? It's, we're going to think about it and then we're going to go, I'm going to sound really stupid if I ask Jesus that question, right? Because <laughs> we're in heaven and it doesn't seem like the most important question. That, that those are healthy places to disagree and those that read the scripture are going to come to different places. Now, there are many places in scripture that are not like that, that the Bible's just crystal clear. So for instance, immigration is one of those. How we treat immigrants is really clear in the Bible. You hear it over and over and over again. You were once immigrants in Egypt. You're to treat immigrants as honored guests. You're to welcome them into your home. You're to open your table. It just, the Bible speaks over and over again. And so it's really hard to be a Christian and go, I think I'm just gonna ignore all that, right? And so there are times, uh, like in recent weeks, um, we had some of our friends and partners from a group called Urban Strategies come to us and they said, hey, uh, we want to, partner with Ecclesia uh, because I, many of us have been open about the fact we're praying for so many of these kids that are being housed at the border. They, they're not in homes. They're not in safe places for them. And we've said, God, help these kids, right? Something needs to happen. And so Urban Strategies uh, has been asked by the government to establish um, some communities where kids can be placed into foster care. And so they came to us and said, could you find 36 families at Ecclesia that would welcome a kid that's um, being housed at the border that's been separated from their family? And, and would you establish a place at your church that could be a daycare center for them five days a week? And I've got to tell you, Ecclesia, there was nobody on the Ecclesia staff in the last few weeks that was sitting around just going, you know, we don't have much to do. We need to find something to do, right? Nobody was doing that. Everybody has plenty to do. But when you have friends come to you that say, you know those immigrant kids you were praying for, do you want to do something? We'd literally, like, we'd have to take Jesus off our website if we didn't do it. We'd have to do it. We don't know how we're going to do it. We've got to figure it out. So some of you, we need 36 families. It would help a lot if you speak Spanish or you have some Spanish or you own Rosetta Stone or something, right? <laughs> if, whatever you could do. And then we're going to figure out, like there are places if you can't host a kid, you can volunteer, you can serve, we can give, we can figure out a way that our church can serve these kids because the Bible's really clear about it. There are other places the Bible's not as clear, right? So the nature of this beautiful meal we share every week together the Eucharist. We come to the Eucharist, and there are many that believe different things about it. We have many from a Catholic tradition 
that come from this place that they were taught, it literally becomes the body and the blood of Christ. I grew up in a Baptist tradition that just said, this is just a memorial, it's a memory, there's nothing special that happens here. I've actually shifted a bit to move more towards like what John Calvin would articulate. And he would say, um, the, the, the wine and the juice and the bread, uh, if you tested the DNA, it doesn't become Jesus, but Jesus is present in a mysterious way we can't understand. It's like he's present in the pores of the bread. It's like he's present in the cup, and, and we can't quite define it, but something beautiful takes place. This is what you need to know at Ecclesia. You can be in any of those camps when you come to communion. You're, there's no theological test to decide that we all agree before you come to communion. You come to communion, and God will do through the Eucharist what God chooses to do. We don't have to agree on exactly how that happens. Does that make sense to everybody? And, and then in that, right, that that's okay, that in our diversity there's great strength. It, it, it gets a little closer to home as we think about uh, many of the current fights and debates in our culture. So if you're a Christian, you must believe, if you read the Scripture, that there is a Christian sexual ethic, that the Bible speaks to the reality that how Christians worship and honor God with their sexuality is important. What you need to know is that there are many Christians that are true, faithful Christians that will come to different places in that. What does it look like to be in a church and in a culture that we say, hey, that's okay. Let's allow people to work that path. And as we walk that path, what we all have to do is read the scriptures and say, what does God say about our sexuality? How do we honor God with our sexuality? We have to go to God in prayer and we have to say, God, what does it look like? What we know for sure is that the Christian sexual ethic is not do whatever you want. That's for sure what we know. It is not that. But we should probably not spend all of our time trying to figure out how other brothers and sisters should worship God with their sexuality. It's hard enough for each of us. And so what we wanna do is say, let's be a part of a community where people can work that process together. But let's not choose to do what many have done and say, let's expel one another in the places that we disagree. Let's work together, let's lean in together, and let's seek to honor God together in all that we do. C.S. Lewis talks about a similar kind of predicament when he uh, is writing in the preface uh, to mere Christianity. In these places uh, that there's absence or disagreement, this is what he says. He says, um, in these places that we've been silent, such silence need not mean that I myself am sitting on the fence. Sometimes I am. There are questions at issue between Christians to which I do not think we've been told the answer. There are some to which I may never know the answer. If I ask them in a better world, I might, for all I know, be answered by a far greater questioner was answered, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Right. It's a great response, right? What, what does it look like to bring things to God that God's going, hey, that's, why are you asking that? That's not about you. He goes on, right? He says, but there are other questions to which I'm definitely on the other side of the fence and yet say nothing. For I was not writing to expound something I could call my religion, but to expound mere Christianity which is what it is and what it was long before I was born and whether I like it or not. Lewis articulates well what I think it means to be a part of the church, a place that not everyone is going to agree on everything, but we're going to work together based on our foundational beliefs. So what do you do when we have these places of disagreement? This is what Burroughs says. Um, why is it not a bad thing? Burroughs says this, he says, because those differences can be useful. 
Now, here this Ecclesia, I could preach five sermons on this topic. You don't have time for it right now. Let me give you the shortest summary I can give you. When it comes to most of these issues of disagreement, there are often polar extremes. People on both sides of an issue that are in the exact opposite place. And this is what I would tell you. Most often the truth is found somewhere in between, right? It's in the tension between those two polar points. I think we're not gonna find very often that the people on the polar edges were spot on, that it's in that tension and in that dialogue, and that's what I'm gonna talk to you about at the end of the sermon, that I think is so important to actually making the church the church. Okay, he's got three more. I'm gonna move through these quickly and then give you some homework. Fourthly, what does Burroughs say? He says, no single structure represents Christ. Burroughs' big fear is that uh, what would happen and has happened often is that churches would go, we're right, you're wrong, we're the church, you're not the church, right? They'd find these issues of disagreement. We can see it all throughout church history recently as well, that people just go like, we're the true Christians, you're not the true Christians. And what Burroughs says is no one organization, no one body, right, can truly represent Christ. We all represent Christ, and our diversity is a beautiful thing in the way that we do that. So what does that look like? This is what he says fifthly. He says, true unity is based on common gospel, and it's it's expressed through cooperation. This is my favorite one. This is what I want you to hear. He says, listen, this is how we get to unity. It's not by all of us looking the same, acting the same, and believing the same thing. But true unity comes when we cooperate. We actually do what no one in this culture does. Have you guys had enough caffeine to dial in and make sure I want you to hear one part, okay? I got like a quarter of your eyeballs, it feels like. This is why I don't preach in those. Somebody will ask me from time to time, Solomon asked me like, Dad, will we ever have one of those big rooms as a church? And if you're in one of those massive churches, pastors preach in a room, but they're preaching on the screen. Everybody looks at the screen. I've preached in a lot of these churches. And so you're in a room filled with people and none of them are looking at you. They're all looking at the screen. It drives me crazy. So, but now I've got all your eyeballs, so I'm thrilled that I stopped and I told you that story. Hear this, Ecclesia. Everybody in our culture, this is what they're doing right now. This is the modus operandi. Everybody's looking to go, I'm gonna find a place that we disagree so I can cut you off. I'm watching. Nope you don't believe what I believe, you're out. You're over here, I'm over here, you're out. And I believe that to truly be Christian is to do the opposite. We look for the things we agree on and we move towards those in cooperation and we work together. We're bridge builders, we're peacemakers. And I'm telling you, what does this world need right now? It needs people that believe in true Christian unity that build bridges. One of my favorite things that I get to do as I take uh, Ecclesians to the Holy Land is to expose people um, to different cultures and different experiences, right? And the first day that we're there together, I take people to the West Bank the first day because it's the perfect culture shock. It kind of helps you settle in. And, uh, and we spend time with now a friend that's become a, a true devoted friend, my friend Sheikh Saeed. Uh, he's an imam there in the city of Nablus. And what I tell Sheikh Saeed is, tell us the truth. I don't care if it makes people uncomfortable. Tell us the truth, what you really believe, because the tendency is to sugarcoat it. And so he'll just give it to us, right? And there are places that if you're an imam in Nablus, um, and you're, I mean, I'm, you hear the stories that they're painful, right? And, um, and you can imagine he has a few 
um, things to say that he disagrees with our current president on, right? That he's not thrilled with some certain policies and, and, um, and some of it for some of our groups, one of our recent groups came, some of it was really hard to hear. In fact, one of the really sweet, devoted, uh, very kind sisters in that group, we got up and she turned to me and she said, Pastor, I think the problem might be that he's watching CNN. <laughs> I said, no, the, the problem is that he's, he's living in occupied territory, right? Um, we have projected on the world our issues because we've gone, well, choose your news source and choose your camp and find a reason to cut the other people off. The rest of the world's not doing that. And you know what? I've gotten to know Sheikh Saeed well enough. I've found the things. When, when we sit down together, we have the same hopes and dreams for our kids, same ones. We have much of the same sense of justice and what it means. And together, there's so many things that we can cooperate and work on. And when we find places that we agree and we can cooperate, we can bridge the gap. How much more so with other Christian people, right? And what you need to know, Ecclesia, is our posture is always going to be that. From the beginning, we've described ourselves as a multi-denominational church. We want to say we want to belong to everyone. Now, my relationships in history come in these Baptist circles around Houston and all across the globe, but we're looking for friends that will cooperate in almost anything. You know, one of the things we've gotten to do, it was one of the craziest things we did years ago, we got to work with Mormons to drill a water well. Now, we're not Mormon. I don't know if you've noticed, right? <laughs> Like, we don't really talk about Joseph Smith ever around here. And uh, I don't get most of it, right? They own Pepsi, but they can't drink caffeine. I don't get that, right? They wear some weird underwear. I don't understand that. That's not my thing. It's not, I don't grasp it. But they also believe that people need clean water, and we believe people need clean water. And so we think we could work together on that. Does that make sense? And that reminds us, like, we're friends. We can, we can build a friendship. We don't have to agree on everything. And you know what? They're more likely to hear our perspective if we're in relationship, if we actually work together. That's actually a really, really good thing. And so that's what we wanna do. And so what uh, Burrow says, and I'm gonna give you some assignment on this, is look for places of cooperation. Don't be like the rest of the world and look for reasons to cut people off. Look for reasons you do agree and connect. And here's the last one, and then I'll give you two assignments as we go. Lastly, this is what he says. He says, when we have cooperation, cooperation destroys schism. And schism is what's so dangerous. It's where we cut ourselves off relationally from people. And it's in those places of schism that we cease to truly be the church because we no longer have the unity that Christ prayed that we would have. This is what one of my favorite Catholic theologians, Hans Kung, says about that kind of schism. He says, the coexistence of different churches does not in itself jeopardize the unity of the church. He says, we can actually have different churches, different expressions of the faith, only the hostile confrontation endangers unity. It's when churches say, you're not the church, we're the church. In other words, though excluding and exclusive differences are harmful, our differences in and of themselves can now be seen as assets. This is the core of what I want you to hear today. Ecclesia, we're a, we're a better church because of our diversity, not a lesser church. The places that we disagree, even more so, the places that we bring different life experiences and cultures, that it's in those places we're actually a better church. Our potlucks are better because the world is represented at our church, right? Somebody ought to amen that. There ought to be like a real amen. 
right? Because when all of the different flavors of the world, the different herbs and spices that some of you don't use in your cooking, all of a sudden you eat them at our potluck, you go, God made all of us. He loves all of us. So what are we to do? Two things I want you to do as we close. Here's the first. Um, You're an ecclesian. And that means you're a representative of Christ first. You're also a representative of our church. This one I want to ask you to do. Look for ways to work with other churches. Look for friends that go to other churches and cooperate with things that their church does. Invite them to participate in things like our Harmony House barbecue downtown where we just serve up an insane amount of meat to the homeless community in Houston. We went out there this last weekend and we had, uh, along with you know, scores of volunteers from Ecclesia, we had some volunteers that came from the Houston uh, Ch- uh, Chinese Baptist Church. Uh, we had uh, a, a group from the Pentecostal Indian Church that were there serving in Harmony House Barbecue. And you look out together and you go, that's what it looks like to be a part of the body, right? Um, we, nobody has ever come in and said, well, this is probably an Indian Pentecostal church. Like nobody's ever said that to us. Um, but we are, we're friends with the Indian Pentecostals. We love them. We work together on things. We think that's a really good thing. And so what I want you to do are be our ambassadors in the city and in the world to say, hey, our church loves you and wants to work with you, that we would truly be a bridge to other churches. Secondly, and this one's really important, this is what I want to ask you to do. Would you be kind, curious, and teachable with those whom you know you disagree? Would you find people in our community beyond that you know you disagree and sit down and share a meal and choose to be kind and curious? I'm telling you, curiosity, it's one of the greatest assets you could have in the world. One of my favorite things I get to do when we onboard our Ecclesia staff, I take them to Hong Kong City Mall. I'm, I'm a part-time uh, Chinatown historian. And uh, I love learning about Chinatown. My favorite thing is I've started just giving them like $5 and I go tell them, buy something in Hong Kong City Mall that you don't know what it is. You have no idea what it is. Uh, You're like, I don't know if this is a fruit or a pastry or meat. I don't know. We just buy it and then bring it and we're going to eat it, right? And just that level of curiosity. And then you're like, I had no idea what this is. KSSO, right? This is, but this is so good. It's so good. I didn't know, I have no idea. If you have allergies, don't do that. But if you don't have allergies, right? <laughs> just like, just, just try things and be curious. I'm telling you, Ecclesia, if we could be kind, curious, and teachable, we could solve a lot of the big problems in this world. And not everybody's going to be. I think it takes the Spirit of God at work in you to be both all kind, curious, and teachable. But I want to be a part of that kind of community. I think Jeremiah Burroughs, way back in the early 1600s, was inviting us to be those kind of Christians. And I want to reiterate that truth for you today. It's a gift to be a part of a church that wants to be a unifying force in the world, that wants to serve not only our city, but the whole world. And I want to invite you as we make this journey in progression. I got, we got more teaching to come that's going to build on this. And I want to invite you to say, what does it look like to cherish our role in being the church? Next week, we're going to talk more about it. I'm going to ask you to do some very specific things that are uniquely a part of our fabric and fiber and DNA. 
And if we'll do those, I'm just telling you, I'm so hopeful, not just for our next six months, but for our next 20 years. So will you allow a moment just for me to pray for you as we come to this table? Lord God, we thank you that as we come to this table, we're reminded that there are brothers and sisters in Haiti right now coming to this same table. There are brothers and sisters in Zambia and Argentina and a place in Argentina where uh, the economy has, ha has suffered so and people are suffering. And other places in South America like Venezuela where they're suffering and yet they're coming together as a body, they're finding hope and they're reminded we have some hope because we're a part of the whole body of Christ. And the hands and feet of Christ are here to lift us up and care for us. And so, God, we're grateful that we get to share the same table. We pray today, God, that as we come to this table, that you would bless this bread, that it would be a physical reminder to us that you drew near to us, and that in drawing near to us, you've said just very clearly in John 17, as I was sent to be close to these people, I'm sending these people to be close to other people. And so, Lord, would you send us to our neighbors? Would you send us in ways to partner with our neighbors' churches and be a force of unity in this world? God, we pray that a day is coming that all in Houston would look and say, it's the love, the selflessness, the unity of the church that is the greatest gift we see in our city. Lord God, we thank you for this cup, this cup that reminds us that forgiveness is at the core of who we are. Because we're a forgiven people, we don't have any space in our hearts for self-righteousness. We don't get to look down on other people. We don't get to become obsessed or concerned with other people's sins because we have our own sins that need to be forgiven, that are forgiven. And so Lord, help us to then embody that forgiveness and also forgive others. We pray all of this together and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.